our march, if you would, towards Easter seven weeks ago. Uh, first, we talked about Judas Iscariot. Second, we talked about Jesus' cleansing of the temple. And then third, we talked about the anointings that took place in preparing Jesus for burial. And today, I want to talk about his, if you would, run-in, that's the way I talk about it, with the Pharisees. How many of you know what a Pharisee is? Well, um, it's hard to describe sometimes because it's a group of people. Uh, it's kind of like saying, what's a congressman? You know, what a congressman was 20 years ago ain't what they are today, but, you know, they all changed their mind. I'm kind of, well, I think of it even as judges. Isn't it a shame that one of the judges that's going to be a life appointment to the Supreme Court was asked if, what her definition of a woman was, and she didn't know. I mean, I, I could probably ask the, the group that was up here earlier if they know what a woman was. I, I about bet they could give me an answer. But uh, I, oh well, supposed to be the smartest ones going, and sometimes the answers aren't there. Well, I guess you could say that somewhat about the Pharisees. Now, there's tons that I could talk about about the Pharisees, but I don't want Paul to be late for lunch today, so I'm kind of shimming it down. I've got more here probably than I could get done in about four hours, but I'm going to try to squeeze it in and, and get it done on a timely manner. So if you'll turn to Luke, the 19th chapter, we'll look to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll take off and try to talk about the Pharisees, and if you would, this case, their relationship with Jesus. Father, we thank you again for the opportunity we have to open your word and learn from it and be more what we need to be for you. We ask, Lord, that you'd move on Judy in a special way that asked for a request of prayer. Uh, her oxygen level wasn't what it should be, and it kind of run into, uh, if you would, a danger zone. So be with her, strengthen her, uh, give her the air she needs to be back up and about. Even Lois asked for prayer in the situations that she's facing, and she needs an okay, so that she can move forward in some of the surgeries or some of the operations she needs. So we'd ask that you'd bless in that situation. All the others that are coming up with doctor's appointments and different uh, diagnoses that coming up this week, ask you to guide us. Lord, going into all of those that they would work out to your honor and glory. Again, Lord, just bless this hour. It's all about you and it's all about souls. So bless us as we open your eternal word. Teach us, we pray, in a special way. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I've, I've talked quite a bit uh, from the, the scriptures, and all of this is taking place, if you would, in the last few days of the life of Christ. And we talked in this about him cleaning the temple. Remember when he came into town, he rode the donkey into town? As soon as he got into town, he turned right, went to the temple down Main Street, and cleansed the temple. All right. Now, we didn't talk a whole lot about what happened after that, but here's what happens in the next two verses according to the Gospel of Luke in verse 47. And he taught daily in the temple. Another Verse, another gospel says, when he cleansed the temple, all the people came in and he healed all of them. 
of all their diseases and sicknesses. That's pretty cool. That's kind of the thing I'd like to see happening in God's church. You know, so here's what happened. He gets up to teach. And that's another great thing about coming to church. You get to be taught. and We get to learn. We get to understand what's in the scriptures. But after it says that he taught daily in the church or in the temple, but, that's one of our four study words. We've got to look at the other side of the thing now. We've got to flip it over, but, the chief priests, the scribes, and the chief of the people sought to destroy him. That group of people is what we would know to come to be Pharisees. That's the group of them. All right? And so in their time, it says in verse 48, they could not find what they might do, for all the people were very attentive to hear him. They didn't want to cause a riot. Had they broke into his temple teaching service or his temple healing service and broke in there with handcuffs or ropes or something and arrested him, it would have caused the whole temple to go into an uproar. It's the way they saw it uh, panning out, so to speak. So they decided they wouldn't do it that way. And we're going to find out later how they planned on getting a hold of Jesus to get rid of him is what they really wanted to do. So we find here uh, it makes really clear when we read those two verses of what Jesus' motives were. But then on the other hand, after but, we find out what the Pharisees' motives were also, the scripture says they sought to destroy him. This group of people had tried to get a rid, if you would, of God's called anointing one. They were known as the Pharisees, and they focused their position on, if you would, the letter of the law from the Old Testament. And their legalistic viewpoint of the law that they found in the Old Testament. So that's how they, if you would, conveyed what they taught in the things they did. Here in verse number 48 is, uh, well, the battle line is drawn, if you would, between those who think they're in authority and the one who is in authority. And people are caught up in the struggle trying to find out which side of the battle they want to be on. Amen? Do you want to fight to believe in what Jesus was teaching? Or do you want to fight for what the Pharisees was trying to put on the people, if you would? Amen? The reality is this battle was set up by the devil and his plan has always been to divide and conquer. Amen? So when we have a battle set up that way, of course, we refer to it from the Revelation teaching as the Battle of Armageddon. And it doesn't take place on horses or tanks or uh, bigs or, you know, any kind of uh, supersonic anything, missiles or ballistics or nothing else. It takes place right here right between your two ears. Between your temples is where the battle of Armageddon takes place. You choose which team you want to fight for. Amen? 
when you're giving, if you would, the opportunity to know what's right and know who's teaching truth, you have to choose which team you're going to be on. Now it goes down into Luke, the 20th chapter, in verse 8. And I want to read the first eight verses here. It came to pass that on one of those days, as he taught in the temple, taught the people in the temple, and preached the gospel, the chief priests and the scribes came on him uh, with the elders. Of course, again, that three-person group is uh, summed up, if you would, in Pharisees. And spake unto him, saying, Tell us, by what authority dost thou these things? Or who is he that gave thee this authority? Well, there's your question. Those two questions they ask, Jesus trying to put him in a corner, trying to get him to say some things maybe they wouldn't otherwise say. Jesus is smarter than they are, in case you didn't know. Verse 3 says, And he answered and said unto them, I'll also ask you one thing, and answer me. The baptism of John, was it from heaven or from men? Hmm. Now we've got to do some deep thinking here. But now the table's turned. They have to answer the question because he's not going to answer their question about authority until they answer his question about John's baptism. Wow. Well, you can go all the way back to the beginning of the gospel in all four gospels, and you'll find that when John came to prepare the way for Jesus' earthly ministry, and he taught repentance and baptized in the Jordan River just multitudes and multitudes. And you know why the, the Pharisees even were concerned about it? It changed the hearts of the people that were coming up out of that baptism and going back into their communities living the way they thought God would have them to live. If it makes a change in somebody's life, everybody else is going to notice. Now, if one or two people get saved in a town the size of Mason, eh, you may hear about it, you may not. Chances are, probably not. But what would happen if Mason, if 10,000 people got saved? Huh? Even Cincinnati would have to take note of that. Amen? So uh, here's John, and the whole scenario of the countryside, when he was baptizing those people, it made a difference. The scripture says even the Pharisees left Jerusalem. The Jews left. They went to the river and asked John to give them some of that spatial water stuff. They didn't know what it was, but they wanted it because everybody else that was getting it was doing better than when they went to the water. And John told them, ah, you snakes in the grass, you vipers, go on home. I know what you're going to do. You're just going to go through the motions and then go home and make fun of me. Now, I'm not baptizing you. Tell you, bring forth the fruits. Meat for repent. You've got to prove to me you've got the goods with God, then I'll baptize you. Until then, hit the road, boys. Ain't got nothing to do with you. Well, they were put in their place, place in a hurry. Now, what kind of authority would that take for a man to say something like that to those that are in authority in the temple in Jerusalem. That's something, isn't it? Well, so they took note, and they knew 
That baptism had to be from God. So, verse 5. Since they knew what the baptism, where it came from, they reasoned within themselves. They had a, a private study time. As they, if we say from heaven, he will say, why don't you believe him? That his is from heaven, huh? But if we say of men, all the people will stone us. For they were persuaded that John was a prophet. And he was. So again, for fear of the crowd, just like they um, said in verse 48 of chapter 19, because the crowd would have took them to task if they said the wrong thing, they just zipped it like Brother Steve does. And they answered that they could not tell whence it was. Well, since they're not going to answer Jesus' question, in verse 8, Jesus says unto them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Now let's examine this just a little bit closer. In verse 1, Jesus um, wasn't really hiding from them. He wasn't teaching in a corner closet somewhere. He wasn't doing it around the curb or over the tracks or somewhere else. He was doing it right in the temple. The one he just cleansed because he wanted to make his father's house a house of prayer that they had turned into a marketplace, a den of thieves. And when he preached, he says, he preached the gospel to them. And so the term preaching the gospel or what we know as of, we'd call it the truth. Isn't it nice to hear the truth? Isn't it nice to know that what you say, you honestly believe in your heart, and you can back it up by what God says. You and God are on the same team if you believe the truth. Here he's preaching the gospel, and he brought um, that truth, if you would, or what he was teaching, it brings the worst out of those that think they know the truth but walk differently. Amen? That would take in the Pharisees. Truth is the honest, solid understanding, and truth never changes. If it was truth 200 years ago, it's truth now. If it was truth 2,000 years ago, it's truth now. It never changes. What changes is our interpretation or understanding of the truth. God never changes. He's the same. His word's the same. It never changes. Amen? I will not leave you. I will not. I will not. I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hebrews tells us that. So if you don't understand truth, it's because you haven't stuck your nose deep enough into the Bible here and sought God's face and allowed the Holy Spirit to teach you the truth. But where the battle lines are drawn is in this situation is understanding the truth or the interpretation of it. Now listen to me real closely here. Some things just never change. We can look back, those of you that are as old as me or younger, can look back over America and study the founding of America and the documents they put together to make America what America is and then look at what's going on in America today and see if they match. Not even close. 
Well, who changed? The Pharisees did. Amen? So we need to understand that we need to get back to the original truths our, our country was founded on and look at the mess it's been caused by people trying to improve it. Come on, give me a break. Amen? The only improvement is the government gets bigger and charges us more in taxes. So we need to maybe get a smaller government that still does the job and get them out. Of, is there anything the government stuck their nose in or put their thumb on the scale of you think's better today than it was when they did it? I mean, they run the schools. Are they better now than they used to be 50 years ago? They run the post office. Is it any better now than it used to be? I mean, what you just name it. Now they want to take over all the insurance. They want to take over all the doctors. They want to take over everything. And you think it's going to get better? I don't think so. I don't think so. Well, that's for another soapbox. But I got to tell you this much. The church is no different. Hmm. We still have a variety of Pharisees that are out there to challenge the authority of God's two witnesses and they're out um, to take away, if you would, or undercut, if you would, the anointing or the leader that God has put over the flocks and over the, to the truth being taught and we need to make sure we walk in the truth that God wants us to walk in. All right, verse 2. They have become bold enough, Pharisees have, to step up to Jesus and ask him about his authority by asking him straight out the two questions. By what authority dost thou do these things? And who gave this authority? Now, in question number one, that question has to come from the fact that they had just been talking about the cleansing of the temple. They had just been talking about his teachings in the temple. They had just been talking about his healings and his miracles, not only in the temple, but in the city. And filling the people's minds, it says, with your doctrines was the accusation. And we could go on and on and on about all the things they thought Jesus was doing wrong and probably uh, undercutting their authority to do what needs to be done. Amen? Well, this question was to show their superiority in the fact that they were leaders in the temple all year long. You know, they lived right there in town. Did you know that? They just lived down the street. Every week they'd go to the temple and tell everybody how awesome they are. Amen? Very, very humble people if you get the sarcasm. But now they think about Jesus as the one who just comes to town when there's a festival, when there's a Passover, when there's a feast, he comes to town on occasions and he thinks he can just walk in the temple and take over. Oh, my goodness. Well, uh, they didn't like that authority, even though it was God's authority. And, of course, the second question they asked, in other words, who gave you this authority, was a question that they had heard some things about him being the Son of God or that my father and I are one. 
and we worked together. My father and I get everything accomplished that he want, and I want to do my father's will. They were trying to force his hand to come right out and boldly say, I'm the son of God. Me and God, we're like this. We're buds. Amen. I'm the third part of the Trinity. Amen. I came straight from heaven. Didn't he even tell them those things? But he didn't brag about it. He didn't make it the issue because he didn't want to be seen that way because the glory eventually goes to God, not to him. All right? Everybody's got that, right? They wanted him to declare that truth about being God. Had he done that, which he did piece by piece in his teachings and by his healings and miracles, but he never wanted to, if you would, get to telling them the point uh, or make it point blank as a matter of indisputable fact. He could have done that. But you know what? Had he done that and said, it's my way or the highway, you ever heard anybody say that? Well, what's the first thing you want to do? usually run and he knew better than to if you would put it on there everybody's got enough green matter up here to make up their own mind as to what is truth and what they should be walking after amen amen so here we find Jesus uh, saying here that as a matter of fact that is an indisputable fact but if he had done that they would have had an excuse crowd or no crowd to step up and grab him by the shoulder, tie a rope around him, pull out a whip and beat him and everything else they wanted to do and kill him even before he had the opportunity to be the sacrificial Passover lamb that he came into the world to be. Amen? There's a certain day that had to take place. Now dudes thought on the secrecy of all of his deity is that if he had said it that way, They'd all rejected him in the first place. And therefore, uh, we have to remember, they, they do need to kill him according to God's plan, not according to their plan. They would have killed him on the spot, right? Just took him outside the city and stoned him. But that wouldn't have been God's plan. He, God's plan was, according to prophecy, he's going to hang on a tree. Amen? There's not going to be a bone broken. He's going to have some quotes to make from that cross to prove that he is the deity of God. Amen? He has to be the sacrificial lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world for whosoever asks in faith through repentance. Amen? That's God's plan, not the Pharisees' plan. So Jesus answers those questions with a question in verse 3 and 4, we talked about John's baptism. Was it from heaven or men? And they put their wheels to turning, and they come up with this deliberation and the conclusion that, gee, we just can't tell. I just don't know. In reality, they already knew. Matter of fact, they knew three years earlier. Amen? And that's one of the reasons why Herod put him in prison. Amen? And eventually... Had, him, uh, had his head removed from his shoulders and served up on a silver platter for a little girl dancing for him on his birthday. Amen? What a birthday party. 
All right, so here in Jesus' um, response to them when they couldn't answer in verse number 8, I kind of see Jesus, if you would, what I would consider rubbing salt in the wound. Amen? Did you ever get any salt in an open wound? kind of burns. It really hurts. Amen? So I think he was rubbing salt in the wound by telling them about his authority. They knew what his authority was and where it was coming from. Now, I'm going to hop around a lot more here in the scriptures. I'm not going to read near as much, but from verse 9 on down is a parable that Jesus taught. Now, this is kind of cool. I like Jesus' way of answering their question. He taught them a parable. Now, you guys get to come up with your own conclusion about this parable. And it's about a, a man that had a vineyard, and he lent it out to a husbandman. And this husbandman did a lousy job taking care of this vineyard. Amen? So he uh, sends out somebody to, to, if you would, reap the harvest of the vineyard. And they beat the guy up and throw him out of the and send him home empty. Well, they send more. They beat them up and kill them and mistreat them. And then the, the guy that owns the vineyard said, well, I'll send my own son. They'll respect him and give him what's due me for my vineyard. But no, they, don't, they treat him terrible too. And, uh, and then the, uh, so they cast him out of the vineyard, verse 15, and killed him. What therefore shall the Lord of this vineyard do to them that did this to his only son and to the servants he sent? and to collect the money he had coming for him. And he, uh, he, verse 16, he shall, come, he shall come and destroy these husbandmen and shall give the vineyard to someone else. And, Jesus, and when they heard this, they yelled out, God forbid. That's terrible that they would treat that husbandman, I mean that that husband would treat those people that way, it even killed the, the guy that owns the vineyard, killed his own son and mistreat his servants just so they were become thieves and robbers of that vineyard and keep the money for themselves. That's terrible. Even the Pharisees said that. And Jesus said, huh, spiritually, that's what you guys are doing every day. Huh, you're doing it right in the temple. Huh. So in verse 17, he beheld them and said, What is this then that is written? The stone which the builders rejected, the same become the head of the corner. That's an Old Testament scripture. He's quoting them. What are you guys going to do for it? And he says, Whosoever shall fall upon that stone shall be broken, and whomsoever shall fall, it will grind them to powder. Now verse 19 is what they think of that thought. And the chief priests and the scribes, the same hour, sought to lay hands on him. But again, they feared the people and perceived that he spoke this parable against them. Well, he did. If they'd have just asked, you don't have to perceive it. I'm going to tell you straight out. Yep, I'm talking about you guys. I'm telling you how it is. This ain't no secret. Amen. You guys are just as wicked as that guy that wouldn't pay the guy that owned the vineyard the fruit from his vineyard. That's what you guys are doing. You're keeping God's glory for yourself. Huh? What do you think about those things? Well, as you come on down through here, you'll find that uh, the, the Pharisees, 
Thought, yeah, he got us there. You know, Jesus probably could have taught about 30 or 40 parables if he'd have took the time. I know he don't like to preach over three hours like me. But if he'd have took a few hours and sat down, he could have told parable after parable after parable, story after story after story to prove to them they didn't have no authority at all. <laughs> but he gave them one here about a vineyard, and everybody in that Jerusalem geography knows the vineyard scenario, and there you go. So when he gets done with those parables and talks about the chief cornerstone, um, that's an Old Testament reference too, and it told them uh, what he thought of their authority, and really it substantiated even the authority of John the Baptist. Huh. He's, he's so smart, he can clear up the air on his authority as well as John's in a couple little stories, just if you'll listen to what is being taught in those particular stories. All right. Well, it says in verse 19, the anger level got elevated because Jesus had their number. And they knew he was teaching the parables about them. By now, the Pharisees had 20-20 vision. You know how I know that? Because in Luke 20-20, they watched him. Their vision was right now. They're watching him, 2020. Amen. And sent forth spies. You know what they did? They pulled somebody out. Don't go down there in your Pharisee robe. Take your Pharisee robe and your high class looking apparel off and put on shambles. Look like a common somebody out of the hills, an old farmer in bib overalls. And go down there and listen to Jesus and come back and tell us what he said. Amen. They sent spies. Wow. Unbelievable. And they feigned themselves or they made themselves take hold of his words so that they might deliver him into the power and authority of the governor. Now, the governor could beat him, could grab him, send soldiers down, and nobody could stand up to the governor. Who's the governor? Anybody got an idea? Yep, Pontius Pilate. He's the governor. He's the mainstay in that town. You don't want to tick him off. Amen. Because he can make your day a miserable day if he wants to without any evidence, without anything going on. He can ruin your day in a heartbeat. So we found out that these spies disguised themselves as men and went in and wanted to find if they could get, some, get him to say something that would get him in trouble with Pilate. Wow, that would take care of the situation. And if Pilate gets his hands on him, he'll shut him up in a hurry. Amen? But in verse 22... Uh, they come down and uh, come down and ask Jesus a, an easy question. Uh, is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or no? Should we pay our taxes to the Romans or not? Well, they hated the Romans. Nobody wants to pay taxes. I'm thankful I'm done paying taxes. I've already got mine. I can live the rest of my life without paying any more taxes. Well, that's not true either. If you don't think so, go to the gas pump. Amen? Even though the gas price is high, about 80, 80 cents per gallon goes in taxes. 
Okay? And you didn't know that, did you? Because they don't tell you that. All right? No matter if you buy five gallons or 25 gallons, you pay the same tax per gallon uh, for each one of them. Anyway, nobody likes that, so they don't tell you that. But now he, we want to put Jesus in a box and get him in trouble with Pilate. So we're going to ask him a question. Now, Pilate's boss is Caesar. Now, if you really want to get somebody in trouble, make Caesar mad at him. Right? Are you going to pay taxes to Caesar or not? So Jesus, being smarter than them, he perceived, according to verse 23, he perceived their craftiness. Amen. The fox is trying to outfox the foxes. Amen. That don't work. Jesus perceived him, their craftiness, and said unto thee, Why are you tempting me? These guys were in disguise. He didn't know them from it, nobody else, if you would. He just probably didn't know their names. They'd probably never met Jesus. They were handpicked by the Pharisees to go down and spy on Jesus to get the goods on him and couldn't do it. He said, well, show me a penny. And they pulled one out, flipped it in the air, and it came down heads. And he said, whose uh, superscription is on it? And they said, Caesar's. He said, well, then pay Caesar's what's his and pay God's what's his. They didn't mind paying Caesar because they knew Caesar would slap them crazy if they didn't pay it. But now, to pay God? I never even give that a thought. Huh. Well, you better think about it. And because in, when he came to verse 26, and they could, not, they could not take hold of his words before the people, and they marveled at his answer and held their peace. So they not only had their eyes open in 2020 and watched him, now they got their ears open in 2026 and shut their mouth for what they heard. Amen. The truth has a way of getting you lined up and get your senses operating the way they should go. Amen. Jesus put the, let them know, the gig's up. I've got your number. It's not going to happen. Why are you trying to tempt me? But with the penny, he put them right in the place where they needed to be. Now, let's turn over into Matthew, the 22nd chapter. This is a basically along the same lines, uh, time-wise, that Jesus is talking to these Pharisees, but it's in Matthew's gospel. Actually, it takes place right after uh, he has cleansed the temple. Again, that's where we started from to begin with. And here we have this guy coming to him that after the Pharisees in verse 34 says, um, but the Pharisees had heard that he had put the Sadducees to silence, they were gathered together. Now, the, how did he put the Sadducees to silence? Well, if you'd back up uh, in verse 23 and come down and read it, I, I'm just going to tell you to, and you can read it for a bedtime story. The Sadducees didn't believe in a resurrection. Now, they did believe the Old Testament law that if a brother married a girl and, and he died before they had a chance to have children, that his next youngest brother should marry her and raise up children through the next... Well, there was a guy that got married a woman and he died. 
and didn't have any children. So his brother married her, and he, she, he died and didn't have And another, and another, and so all seven of them. There were seven brothers. Finally, all seven of them died, and the Sadducees wanted to make fun of his resurrection theory. Say, now, in the resurrection, whose wife is that going to be? I mean, all seven of them was married to her. I don't know what line I would have fell in that order, but I might have skipped my turn. But nonetheless, all seven of them was married to her, and they're trying to make fun of Jesus' resurrection theory because they don't believe in the resurrection. But Jesus has got an answer for them too. Amen. And he said unto them, uh, verse 29, You do err, not knowing the Scriptures nor the power of God. Boy, that'll put you in your place, won't it? For in the resurrection you either marry or are given in marriage, but you are as the angels of God in heaven. All right, but as touching the resurrection of the dead, have you not read that which is spoken unto you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. God is not a God of the dead, but of the living. Wow. Did that not put the Sadducees in the cooker pot, this pressure cooker? Amen. And when the multitudes heard this, they were astonished at his doctrine. They never heard that doctrine before. He'd been preaching it all along, everywhere he went. Amen. He even raised Lazarus from the dead to prove resurrection's possible. Now, verse 34, when the Pharisees heard that the Sadducees had been shut up, who's next? Well, they got to find a lawyer. Ask him a legal question, one that he probably doesn't know the answer to. Now, I got to tell you, if there's anybody that thinks really high of themselves and how smart they are, it'd be a lawyer. Amen? I, I'm not saying they're not smart. They're probably a lot smarter than me, but I've never seen one that said, I don't agree with that. I'm smarter than you. And they go to court and they all have their own story to tell and their own way of saying it so that it looks like they're smarter than everybody else in the room. Well, this lawyer's no different. He comes to Jesus. He says to Jesus, Hey, man, which of the greatest, which of the commandments is the greatest? Now, he's probably referring to the Ten Commandments, but that's not the way Jesus answers it. Jesus answers him by quoting Deuteronomy 6 and 5, and he says, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. Now, you know that lawyer had to know that particular verse. I don't know if he had just come from a court case where he had to defend his defendant, if you would, with that scripture. He may have just done that. Jesus would have known. And Jesus goes on in verse 38 and said, This is the first and the greatest and the great commandment. And the second's like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. That pretty much closes the book on the greatest commandment. If you can't pass that test, uh, don't tell me how many of the commandments you're keeping if you don't love your neighbor and you don't love God with everything you got. Amen. 
Because that's the first and the great commandment that we must have settled in our hearts. You're not going to do anything to the glory of God if that's not settled in your heart. Amen? So here we go. Verse 41. While they were to all together, Jesus asked a question to them. And that question is about Psalms 110. What do you think of Christ? What do you guys think of the Messiah? Do you know there's one coming? Have you ever heard what David said in Psalms 110? Of course they knew about that. And he goes on to, to talk to him about it. And what it did was one more time silence the Pharisees in the thought. See, verse 41 said the Pharisees were there this time. He's already silenced the Sadducees, the lawyers, the scribes, everybody else, the chief priests, everybody has already been silenced. Amen? But they never accepted Jesus' truth, and it was to their own demise because they wouldn't step up and say, you know what? That guy's pretty sharp. That guy's got it all together. And the things he's saying, we can't even argue with. It's the truth. It's the gospel. It's what God wants us to know. So what we have to take note of is just because they were uh, silent in the face of Jesus didn't mean they were not getting stirred up into a hornet's nest behind his back. Just because they walked away and said, you're right, I have no argument against what you said, don't mean when they got in the shadows, they tried to find somebody else to whisper and pss, 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 tell them their side of the story and say, ah, he can't, can't really be like that. And guess what? In 2022, the Pharisees are still doing the same thing. Hasn't changed a bit. Amen. They won't talk to the one that's telling them the truth, but boy, they'll go behind his back and tell everybody what they think of him. Amen. And so they don't, never come to the truth. They just keep stirring up, if you would, trouble. So they seek out the ones that they can share their version of the truth with and get a following to do the dirty work of the devil to divide the church. And it makes them feel like they're doing God's work in questioning the authority of the one that God has anointed. Hmm. What do you think of that? Poor old Pharisees, right? I don't feel sorry for them. The reason they raise up their heads and want to argue or question anything is because they don't have, if you would, the star on their chest as there's a new sheriff in town and it's them. Well, that's not the way it works. Let me just tell you this in conclusion. There's nothing wrong with asking Jesus questions. Amen? If the disciples hadn't done it, they would have been as ignorant into the things of God as anybody else walking in two shoes or less. They had questions constantly. 
Amen. They even had one of the mothers of two of the disciples. Two of the disciples were brothers. And the mother of those two said, Man, Jesus, would you do me a great big favor? When you get in your kingdom, will you make one of my sons sit on your right and another one on your left? Oh, wouldn't that be just great? I'd love my sons to be right up there with you, brother. He says, you don't even know what you're talking about. You missed a point altogether. Amen. That's not what it's about. But if it comes down to questioning truth or understanding, I have no problem with questioning it as long as you back it up with truth. I can be wrong. And I've said it ever since I was a pastor. 37 years of pastoring now. 27 of them here. Amen. In faith Christian. And I've said it my whole preaching life. If I say something wrong, please let me know. Because I can slip up. And I can, you know what? I have found more of my own mistakes by going back and listening to myself on tape or on the internet or however we do it at that particular time. Yeah, 37 years ago, we didn't have the internet. Al Gore hadn't invented it yet. But... We used to have cassette tapes that we could go back and listen. And I'd hear things that I said that was wrong. You know, and I'd get back in the pulpit the next time and say, I messed up there. You know, why? I want to know the truth. Amen. Now, not that I would do it if you would intentionally, but a Pharisee would. If it made him look good to someone else, he'd tell them a short tale. Amen. But Jesus doesn't operate that way. We need to learn the truth, and we need to understand that the truth is what really matters in everything we do. Amen. Don't go in the shadows and whisper one to another. Come out in the light and sit down in the, with the one that has authority, if you would, and allow the two witnesses and take your medicine when the truth does come out that you need to know what God's Word and God's people really need to walk in. Now, if you're given the truth, walk in it. Tell it to others, but back it up with the Word of God and the Spirit of God. Amen? Don't tell somebody something that you're just jumping at straws and don't really know. Amen? Got too many preachers that when they say something, they just throw it against the wall and see if it sticks, like spaghetti. Amen. We need to understand it's truth. Amen. Just because you agree with it or you like the sound of it doesn't make it truth. It has to be backed up by the Word of God and the Spirit of God. Amen. If you do that, you know what the results will be? You'll stop the works of the devil that wants to divide and to conquer God's people, and you'll promote what God teaches as gospel and truth, and the result will be unity among God's people. I would 10 to 1, or even more than that, 10 million to 1, rather have unity as division in the things that God wants us to understand. With honest hearts... We found there is much more that brings us together in the church than there is that tears us apart. Amen. Everybody, does everybody believe in Jesus that he died for them, that you can have salvation through his grace and 
Oh, man, do you believe that he turned water into wine at the Canaan feast? Well, sure, we all, there's so much. You believe he was born of a virgin? Well, yeah, there's so much more we can gravitate to and agree with than there is that separate and divide. But where do they focus? Amen. I took a philosophy course once. It says they major in the minors. Huh. In other words, they look at the things that will divide us rather than the things that bring us together. Amen. If you major in the minors and seek truth and hold on to it, everything's going to work out. Make sure we look at the things we can agree upon rather than the things that are arguable. I only, is that a word? Can we use arguable? Debatable? You know, there are things, all of us, and I'm going to tell you, I've been preaching, like I say to you, uh, any of you that's been here 17 years, you've been under Pastor Dude. He's yacked at you at least once a week or at least 50 times a year, right? And I probably said something you didn't necessarily agree with. Amen. Especially if I told you you ought to wear bib overalls. <laughs> there are some things that I'll probably say you won't agree with. And I'm not going to tell you how to dress. But I am going to tell you the truth. Amen. And if you think I'm wrong, be man enough or woman enough to say. And back it up with Scripture. And come to me and say, that's not true. Well, the Pharisees don't do that. You want to know who the Pharisees are in the church? We've been looking for them for 27 years since I've been here. It's the they saids. I can never find out who they is, and now I know who it is. They are the Pharisees. They don't want to tell you their names. They want to tell you their pronoun names. They said, oh, now I get it. Uh-huh, so the Pharisees said. So be careful when you're out promoting what they said because they're trying to pull you into their category instead of into the truth that God has for you. Amen? Jesus put up with the Pharisees his whole entire ministry. Amen. I don't know about you, but I have to put up as a pastor, I have put up with a whole lot of people that want to straighten me out, want to tell me, I had people call me and, and, and cut, well, not cuss, but tell me off in no uncertain terms and then hang up the phone and don't even give me a chance to answer. That's not fair, is it? Amen. I felt like calling them back, but I thought, no, I'll let them stew and let them go. Amen. God will straighten them out eventually or he'll settle the score I don't have to. Amen. That's the Bible way. God says, vengeance is mine. Amen. So I don't have to settle the score. I just have to live what I know is truth. Amen. So don't be a Pharisee. Don't go in the corner. Try someone to find somebody that agrees with you on every little thing. Amen. If you do, your dog will still follow you because that's the only one you're going to find that agrees with you on everything. Amen. Because there's probably no two people in here agree on everything. Even husbands and wives don't. And the children don't agree with the parents. It just doesn't work that way. But if it's truth, we have to stand on it. Amen? And let's don't be a Pharisee. Let's walk where God wants us to walk in truth. Amen? And remember, Jesus never said it'd be easy, just worth it. Let us